Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. There's a swing and a drive to center by Ramos. Back and it goes Ellsbury to the wall. It is gone. Wilson Ramos with a two-run home run. And with one swing of the bat, he's given the Rays the lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our latest show in a tough week on the field. We'll review by what many accounts was a very successful draft. We'll also look back on a trip to the nation's capital with Wilson Ramos, plus go down memory lane with a local who played for the Rays. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and our feature guest this week is the Buffalo, Wilson Ramos. Wilson, congrats so far on a very good year. How much fun has this been for you to be fully healthy and to be helping this team win games? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, I'm very happy because, you know, all my career, every time I'm, I'm healthy, I can, you know, everybody seeing me producing for, for, for the team. So that made me feel so good being healthy because I prepare all the all season for, for this. And you know, and I'm doing my my, my job behind the play. You know, my offensively is doing, it's coming well. So you know, very happy for this moment right now. You're getting to play uh, the team you were with most recently a lot in a very short period of time. Going to Washington, then they'll come back and play you. Do you still have a lot of friends with the Nationals? Yeah, I uh, I, I still still have a couple of friends over there. And I'm still talking with, you know, one of the one of those guys, Michael Taylor. You know, we we're working at the same place in, in Baltimore here in Florida during the off season. So we're still continuing, you know, to talking. And you know, it's very excited to to go back and play and play there because you know I got good memories over there. I know the fans the fans love me in that in that city. So. It's going to be a very special for me. Are there particular games or moments that are your best memories there? Uh, yeah, I got a couple. I got uh, the no-hitters I got over there. I got the 20-strikeout game with Mark Churcher. I got uh, my first walk-off, Homer, and, you know, a couple of uh, another walk-off single. So that was a great, great moment in my career over there with, with that team. You obviously have got to catch some really good guys over the years. Is there one you enjoyed more? Because, I mean, there's Scherzer and Strasburg and Geo and, I mean, they have Roark. They have some really good guys to catch. Was there one that you enjoyed catching more than any of the others? And if so, why? Uh, you know, the, one of the guys I always, you know, excited to catch was he's Mike Scherzer. You know, he's a really good guy, really good pitcher. You know, one of those guys you want to – you want to be behind the play, receiving because you know he's he know what he's doing when he's in the mound. He's aggressive. He's very smart. One of the guys fight every single time. He never threw the head down. So very good, very good pitcher. So happy, one of the best pitcher I I ever call in my career. You have uh, you're catching some pretty good guys here. How much has Blake Snell grown up this year, and how much fun has it been to work with him and see him mature? Well, you know, this year he he showed me like, you know, he's been learning a lot, and and like he's he's working hard every single time. You know, last year to this year is way different. Last year, 
I saw him with you know a little bit of experience, not 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 much, but this year, you know, he's concentrating more on what he's doing. He's especially with you know two strikes down. He, he just you know throw the ball in the ground, throw throw the good pitches for strikeout, and he's aggressive right now. He get more confident on the mound, so. To me, that's the reason he's been doing really well this year. Does he have a chance to be a special, top of the league type guy? You think? Yeah, yeah, he got he got pretty good stuff. He got pretty good, you know, uh, pretty good, you know, attitude. He, he he's one of the guys like to, to 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 hear what 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 we say to him. You know, hopefully, you know, he he, he will be in the in the best pitcher in the in American League. Again, we're chatting with Wilson Ramos in this week in race baseball. Again, as mentioned, you're having a very good year so far. What means more to you, the defensive side or what you've done so far offensively? Uh, you know, to me, for the catcher, I always like more my defense. Every time I go out there and I put zero on the scoreboard, that, that, that made me feel so good. You know, it's not, you know, I separate those, those two teams, you know, offensively and defensively. I can go I can go out there behind a the play with with my at-bats in my mind, you know, it's hard for me to do that. So I like to separate those those little things, you know. If I go one game and I go 0 for four and I and I put nine zeros in the scoreboard, I, I would be I would be happy for that. And if I go off four for four and we lost really good game, it's not you know, when you go into the to the clubhouse, you know, it's not, it's not happy to, to you know, to feel good because we lost, you know. So I like more my 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 defensive part. Who was the catcher who helped you the most as you grew into a big leaguer? Uh, uh Ivan Rodriguez. He he helped me a lot when, I, when we played together in the in the in the Washington organization. You know, he teach me a lot. Always was next to him sitting next to him every single day and those year and a half we, we played together and we're talking every single time every single game he told me you know about pitches about the pitching stuff about the situation so one of the guys showed me uh, teach me a lot was him do you still trade messages with him text him talk to him at all sometimes sometimes we text each other you know i know he's a really busy man right now but you know, every time we get opportunity to talk, I'm very happy for for that. You know, he spent time to talk with me. But you know, we made really good relationship. How much did you know his son? Because it's crazy. His son's already in the big leagues. Yeah, I know. I know his son a little bit. You know, he he bring his son when we play when we play together. Now he he wore in the same place I wore in the whole season. So we we. We talk a little bit in this all season when we was working out, and yeah, you know, very happy because because you know, nothing like see your son play in the big league, you know. So very excited for him. Well, you've got a son now, so do you hope he's going to play baseball? Uh, that's that, that's the, the the dream for every for every dad, you know. We want to see our son play, or do the same like daddies do. But you know, I would I would do my best to to give it a good future for him, and you know, he has to to pick one, you know, <laughs> one 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 sport he want to do or one thing he want to do. But all my support would be with him. 
catcher is a pretty physical position. Would you be okay if he decided he wanted to do what his dad did? Uh, you know, it's hard to say, but I don't want, I don't want him to catch. I, don't, I want him to play another position. That's, that's, that's too hard for, for everybody. And, you know, now I'm here and I know all the hits we get every single day. And I don't want my, my son to get too many hits a day. I can understand that. You have a lot of pride in your family. What has it meant to see your, your family grow and, and now you've got a son and a daughter? He's a he's a very excited, you know. Like now, you know, in the beginning, I get my my daughter. I was very excited. Me and my wife very excited because we was looking for, you know, to to spend the the, the family. And now we got a boy, so we got boy and girl. It's like you know, like I say to my wife, when as soon as my as soon as we know the, you know, we know that was a boy. I say the game's tied right now, so two and two. So let's see, you know, probably soon we get another one and see, and see who wins the game. <laughs> you, um, you're also part of a very big family. You were one of, what, eight brothers and sisters? How, how much pride do they have in you? Because I know you had a couple of brothers that played minor league baseball. How proud are they of you and what you've achieved? It's, it's good. It's good to, be, to have a big, big family because, you know, when you grow up, you grow up and play around with your brothers, and you know I get really, really good when I when I was young, play with them. Now I get the opportunity to play in the big league, and all all my brothers they follow my steps. I had, like you say, I have two brothers playing in the minor league. They always call me. They always ask me for for a lot, a little thing about baseball, and it's not the better like. Uh, you feel that support, you know, from your family and your brothers, and you know that made me feel so good. You've got your baseball family here. You, it seems to me, you've got a really good relationship with Jesus Sucre, and also Carlos Gomez. What have they meant to you, to, the two of them? Yeah, it's it's good when you when you have teammate like 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 them. You know, you always support. It's not you know bad when you have player like. Like they they're not playing because they're the backup, and they don't say they don't they they just want to play, and they don't want you do good job, you know, for them playing. And here is very different because Jesus, he know his role, in in the in, in the in the team. He always one minute he he good do good behind the play, same like me like me when he play, I always say you know, good good thing to him. Like hit a homer, hit a double, bring runners in, you know, do a good job behind the play. That's the the relationship we want in the team. You know, if we have that relationship, always, always we will play good. And this is is are you having as much fun this year as other years? Is this seems like it's a good group of guys? Yeah, yeah, I'm having really, really good days here. Funny day, especially Carlos. You know, Jesus, those two guys, you know, made me feel so good during the game because they're laughing. They say, they say, a couple of things, you know, make you make you feel happy. And nothing better like you go out there and and play and play happy. You know, it's not not easy go out there and you know feel feel bad one day and go and play. You know, if you go out there, you have to make sure you you happy, you enjoying what you're doing. Well, keep enjoying what you're doing. We appreciate watching you, and thanks for being part of This Week in Race Baseball. Thank you. That's Wilson Ramos. We continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. 
Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and of course this was a busy and many would say successful week for the Rays on the draft side of things. And joining us, Director of Amateur Scouting, Rob Metzler. And Rob, how now that you've had a few days to get away from the draft, so to speak, I know you guys are busy trying to get players signed, but having looked back on it, what did you like most about the way things fell for your group? I thought that we read and reacted as best as we could given the wild scenarios that presented themselves during, during the course of the draft. This was not the way it played out was, you know, it's no new news now. There, there were many surprises that came our way. Our staff had us in very, very good position to react to those surprises, and we got we were able to add talent, you know, throughout the draft that we were very, very excited about. I think when we start at the top, it would be fair to say that of your top three picks, Matthew Libertor, Shane McClanahan, Nick Schnell, if I would have told you before the draft you're going to get not one, not two, but all three of those, and that they would be at your disposal, you probably would have told me I was are you crazy. Certainly wasn't our expectation heading into the uh, heading into draft night or certainly into draft meetings. But that's that's really the value of having such a great staff and the relationships over the course of the year that our staff built with these players, uh, and not just the ones that we might be quote unquote targeting down the stretch. Because that's great. We will try and spend our time on, on those it, those prospects and those issues we find we expect to be most relevant, but what's going to be the most relevant on draft night, it's, it's always a surprise. So, but to get back to your question, yes, it was very much a positive outcome to the, uh, those three, three picks at, at 16, 31 and 32. What makes each of those kids special? Matthew Libertor, we think very, very highly of him has a left-handed starting pitching prospect. And it's because of, you know, because he really checks all the boxes. We're talking about size. We're talking about arm action delivery. We're talking about a repertoire that you know with four feel for four pitches ability to attack with all of them and we're talking about the mental approach and character that we know quite well and we believe in that that he's one in position to compete on the mound but two in position to compete off the mound and, and continue to get better in, in every aspect of himself as a person and as a baseball player Shane McClanahan his stuff you know as a local pitcher here you know electric stuff you know fastball you know I get some radar guns have probably seen 100 this spring but yeah high 90s fastball you know a change up with with plus arm speed you know a slider that you know that can miss bats you know and his his track record at University of South Florida I mean he is you know his strikeout numbers are are quite impressive and he's quite a competitor so that, that talent with that pick was was we thought was an outstanding outcome and Nick Schnell is is a athletic you know high school outfielder really good body really good skill set in terms of a swing that we think is going to translate very well to professional baseball he has good raw power he's a good runner he you know profiles well in center field and he has a plus arm you know so those are the types of tools that we think can have an impact in our system and and fit what will fit well to to add into the bottom of the system and allow him to develop you know along with a good group of young prospects we have there. One of the other guys you drafted on day one I thought was interesting was uh, Tanner Dodson, a kid who plays multiple positions. How different is it from Brendan McKay, and how how do you think the system will use a guy who you drafted to play both center field and, and pitch off the mound? It's it's a different situation, but it's the same mentality as we have had with Brendan. You know, Tanner Tanner pitches a starting pitcher as a freshman and sophomore, but he is he – is, uh, He's pitching a relief role this year for, for Cal, but he has a very fast arm, live sinking action on his fastball. He has a plus slider, and he had success pitching out of the bullpen this year for Cal. Same time, he hit in the middle of the order as a switch hitting center fielder, really good defensive skills, really good contact skills. We think there's more power than, than he might have shown this year. 
Uh, we saw more power last summer on the Cape. Part of that selection, part of our belief, one, we believe in, in the kid, but two, I think we believe we can't really foresee exactly how his career is going to play out. We think he's a very, very talented kid, and we want to keep options open. We don't have the answers exactly you know, what he's going to be, but we do think that there's a lot of different positive outcomes that could come from his, you know, from, from him being a part of our system. Is there more of a thought of, of looking at guys who can do multiple things in today's day and age with you know, the flexibility the Rays need um, from a resource standpoint to maybe draft a guy or two every year that can try and do both? I think it's just the, the talent. I think these Brendan at the top of the draft last year, Tanner in, in a very, very good draft position this year, I, I think these were fairly unique. We, we will see what, you know, what the talent pool brings in future years. I mean, th- this was something with Brendan, you know, for, for years at Louisville, we had recognized him as a top of the draft talent. And, you know, that was how we, when we were able to acquire him, that's how we, we approached it with, with Brendan and, and starting, you know, very, you know, about 12 months ago when we hit the hit the Cape. We, we had seen Tanner quite a bit at Cal, but really when we turned to find focus on him on the Cape last summer, the follow reports started coming in that this was a very, very talented kid that we had to spend some time on. So we, we will see what next year's draft class brings, and we, we will approach it with, with a similar mindset if there are prospects with, with this ability. And as you look through the rest of the draft, I mean, when we talked about it before, you like the depth of the group. Who are some of the key guys on day two who can – you know, bring depth, and, and what can they bring? I would start with the, at the beginning of the day, too. Ford Proctor is a very, very good baseball player with a good line drive bat, with good defensive skills. He's somebody who might, you know, in a single viewing, might not, might not wow you with, you know, huge raw power or, you know, lightning quick, you know, foot speed, but he's somebody who does everything well on the baseball field, and we think he has a very, very good chance to progress through our system and make an impact on our major league roster. Grant Witherspoon is an athletic, kid with left you know left-handed bat with power played center field at Tulane but we think it's a well-rounded tool set that can help us offensively and defensively Taj Bradley was a prospect we were thrilled to get you know in, in the fifth round youngest pitching prospect youngest prospect in the draft and and somebody with arm action delivery athleticism that you know should should fit very well with our young pitching development and and should you know we're hoping that he will develop into part of the next wave of, of young arms in our system, that young starting pitching prospects. So I would highlight those three, but throughout second half of day two and into day three, we added, I think, a diverse group of prospects who have a chance, you know, have, you know, there are some with, you know, look at the next two with Miller Hogan and Joe Ryan who have, you know, might not be, you know, hit the highest numbers on the radar gun, but have had tremendous collegiate pitching careers uh, and, have good stuff. We're not talking. We're not shortchanging the stuff, but who have thrown a ton of strikes, missed a missed a ton of bats. Those are good, you know, good prospects to bet on developing as starting pitching prospects. Good luck getting them all signed. Thanks for a few minutes. Thanks, Neil. And that is race director of scouting Rob Metzler. Before we continue and have more on the draft, let's pause for station identification. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WBTP HD3 Clearwater. And 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Neil Solod's with you on this week in Rays Baseball. You heard from Director of Amateur Scouting Rob Metzler, who mentioned the Rays' top pick in left-handed pitcher Matthew Liberatore. And I spoke to Matt as well this week and asked him what that moment was like to hear his name called. Um, Honestly, I was pretty calm. Um, up until the draft started, um, and then, you know, obviously I was a little anxious um, waiting to hear my name called, um, but once it was called, I didn't think I was going to cry, and um, I stood up to my dad, and I started crying quite a bit, and 
you know, hugged my mom. Um, it was definitely an emotional moment, something really special for all of us. How big a family do you have, and who else was at the, the draft celebration? Um, I have my parents, and then I have a little brother. Um, my grandparents were here um, from both sides, and then I had about 25, 30 friends over. Tell me what the uh, what the sound of the room was like when uh, when that name was called, and did you get a call from the Rays before it actually came up on the board? Um, the sound in the room was, uh, in one word, I'd say deafening. Um, <laughs> it was really loud. Um, and then I did not get a call before it happened. What did it mean to get picked by the race specifically? Um, I mean, I'm super excited. You know, that's where uh, David Price spent a lot of time. Um, and, so, you know, to come up in that organization, I know a couple of the guys in the organization. So um, I'm super excited about it and ready to get started. They obviously have a great reputation for developing young pitchers. Who are the guys you know in the organization? Uh, I know more so guys on the scouting side that I've kind of formed relationships with um, this fall. Um, I know Mr. Hamlet, David Hamlet, um, R.J. Harrison, um, just to name two of them. Did you always want to be a baseball player? I mean, obviously left-handed pitchers have the ability to do something special in this game, but at what point were you playing other sports as a kid, and when did baseball become the sport for you? Um, I think baseball is always kind of the sport for me. Um, I played a couple other sports. I played volleyball and played basketball a little bit. Um, but and I think I always had a special spot for baseball, and that was always what I wanted to do if I had the opportunity to go to the next level for anything. Did you go to games in the state of Arizona to watch the Diamondbacks? or And if, if were there any pitchers that when, – when did you decide you wanted to be a pitcher specifically? I don't think it was necessarily going to games or watching certain guys. Um, I really – I really had kind of a knack for pitching probably in my 7th or 8th grade year. Um, and, you know, it brought me the most happiness and, you know, kind of created a feeling for me that I didn't experience anywhere else. And that's kind of when I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Was there a moment you could tell us about in 7th or 8th grade where, or, or, or a, a part of the season where it all clicked and you're like, wow, I could be pretty good at this? I think, you know, if you ask my parents, they'll say um, when I was about 7 years old, um, I drilled a kid in the back um, in my first season, a kid pitch, and uh, the ball sort of rolled back to the pitcher's mound, and the kid fell down to the ground like he got shot. And uh, I w- started walking towards the plate, and everyone thought I was, um, you know, going to check on the kid. And I picked up the ball and walked straight back to the mound. And I think that was when my parents kind of saw the competitive edge in me, um, and that I knew what I was doing out there. And then for me, it was kind of summer after my freshman year. I started talking to colleges a little bit, and that's kind of when I realized that I'd have the opportunity to at least play in college. Those are some pretty cool stories. Tell me what pitchers you liked watching and, and who you maybe not emulate, but um, you appreciate for their game. Um, I'd say, honestly, the same guys that I try and emulate. Um, you know, Max Scherzer, Roldis Chapman, Marcus Stroman. Um, just the way those guys approach the game, the way they walk around the mound, the presence that they create. Um, it's all really cool, and that's the stuff that I love watching, and that's why I try and emulate it. You played for Team USA and had a lot of success. How do you think that helps prepare you for uh, the professional ranks? You know, we had 11, 12-hour days. Um, we were waking up at 8 in the morning to head to the field, and we didn't get back until um, you know 8, 9 o'clock at night. And uh, so we had some really long days and, you know, also being away from my family for an extended period of time. How about pitching in, in the gold medal game, right? You you were the winning pitcher in the gold medal game for the under-18 team? Yeah, that was super fun. Um, something I'll never forget and that I'll cherish forever. Um, for me, the higher the pressure, I feel like the better I perform. Um, so, you know, I was thankful to pitch that game. Um, 
know, that's how I feel about every game that I pitch. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a really good experience. What do you see as the strengths of you as a, a pitcher, and how do you want to, let's say, be in five years from now as you continue to grow and develop? Um, I'd say my strengths are I'm aggressive. I attack the zone. I attack guys. I'm not afraid to throw inside or um, throw off speed when I'm behind in the count. Um, I'd say I can be a savvy pitcher when I want. I'm pretty cerebral on the mound. Um, and I'd say in five years, um, you know, obviously I want to fill out a little bit, uh, make the most out of my body, and uh, kind of put my tools to the test and challenge myself. Did you grow up going to any Diamondbacks games at all? And, and how, how many major league ballparks have you been to since you've traveled some on the showcase circuit? Um, I've gone to quite a bit of D-backs games. Um, ballparks that I've played in, I've played in three, um, Wrigley, Petco, and Target Field. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many I've visited. Well, hopefully it's not too long before you're playing in a, a big league ballpark with the Rays, and we certainly appreciate <laughs> some time, and uh, we wish you good luck, and hopefully it's not long before we uh, hear that you've signed on the dotted line. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that is Ray's top pick in Matthew Libertor. Meanwhile, the third pick the Rays chose was Nick Schnell, an outfielder from Indiana. They took him 32nd overall out of high school. And I spoke to Nick as well and asked him what being picked 32nd meant to him. It was one of those things where you hear a bunch of rumors about uh, where you're going to go and what's going to happen. And just to hear your name be called early in the draft in the first round like that is such a great uh, feeling and a great opportunity. I was super stoked, super excited. Were you surprised at all it was the Rays, or did you think if there was a team that would take you that early, it would be Tampa Bay? Coming in, I didn't really think about who would take me or what team it would be. Honestly, I just came in with an open mind that it could be anybody, and um, and then the Rays, the Rays drafted me, and it was, it was a pretty cool experience. Now, did you get the call from them first, or did you see it on the board and then get a call from the Rays and... and... Who was with you for the celebration of, of that moment? Uh, I saw it on the screen first, and then I had my all my family over, and then a couple, like, my teammates and my coaches. Uh, so I had all of them over at my house. But I saw it on the screen, and then I got the phone call. How big a family, uh, how many people were there for this? There were probably 35. And what, what was that moment like in the room when they all saw you? Obviously, for you, I'm sure it was touching, but... Uh, to all those people who mean so much to you, uh, it was an awesome. Or they were all super excited for me. It was awesome. Um, I couldn't ask for a better support system. Uh, it was incredible just having all those people here who wanted to um, have the moment and share it with me. Uh, so it was incredible to have such a great support system here. And I can't thank um, everybody who was here enough. Now, I've read a little bit about your background. I know you've got, what, an older brother and sister who are athletes. Your mom and dad were, were college athletes as well. How did you eventually pick baseball, and what other sports did you play as a kid? As a kid, I played football, basketball, and baseball. Uh, I was always more basketball, baseball. I was, an, I was a good football player, but never really was too into it. Then I got to high school and played both basketball and baseball. But I watched Iowa as a following my brother around growing up, and he was uh, big into baseball. He went and played two years of baseball at Belmont University. So when he got to high school and I saw him kind of start focusing on baseball, it was kind of one of those things where he's an older brother and you look up to him, and so that's something that you want to do. So I started uh, focusing on it, and then when I hit high school, I could potentially go to college for it or make a career out of it, and so that's when I started really focusing on baseball. 
Now, were you always an outfielder? And uh, if either way, were there certain players you grew up watching beyond your brother and emulating at the major league level? I uh, played shortstop up until I was 12 um, just because my dad coached. And um, it was kind of one of those things that's little league baseball. So you put um, one of your more athletic kids at shortstop. So I always played shortstop in little league. But once I hit um, travel ball age and then into high school, I always played outfield. I mean, I watch all kinds of games, so I watch a bunch of different players. Um, Christian Yelich, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, all those big-name outfielders, you pay attention to what they do and try and play play like them. But a lot of it is just using what skill sets I have and trying to put them uh, into play the best of my ability. You mentioned you know, working to your skill set. What are your strengths as a, as a potential professional here? I think my biggest strength is I'm just a competitor. When I get out there, I just I do my best to compete. Whatever I'm doing, uh, I just try and do what I can to help my team. If that's getting a big hit, I'm always confident in the box or throwing somebody out from the outfield. Um, I have a strong arm, so uh, I feel whatever. I just when I get out there, I try to compete, and I say that's that's my biggest strength is just being able to go out there and use the skill sets and. Uh, use it and compete to the best of my ability. From what I understand, your um, your hit tool is pretty strong as well. How do you see yourself right now as a hitter? What are your strengths at the plate? Uh, I think I'm a pretty well-rounded hitter. I use all the, uh, all skills. I uh, am most comfortable to left center, so I kind of have an opposite field approach. I like to I like to see the ball in and just drive it the other way. It's always just been kind of a comfort zone for me. In high school, my first two years as a pitchers would stay away 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 so I just got comfortable seeing the outside pitch and driving into the opposite field but uh, as I got junior and senior year people realized that outside pitches most comfortable with so they come back inside and so I started getting more comfortable with seeing the inside pitch so I kind of developed a, a well-rounded hit tool to all fields I'm trying to work on my power um, it's not I don't think it's fully developed but um, I'm looking to get stronger and just keep developing that power. And that is Nick Schnell, the Rays' third pick this year, coming up here from a longtime Rays employee, plus an ex-Rays player, player pays a visit and more after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Time now for a look at our 20th anniversary and our latest Rays 20-year employee. Hi, I'm John Higgins. I am Senior Vice President of Administration and General Counsel for the Rays. I started with the Rays on April 1st, 1995. I remember that we had just gotten the franchise on March 9th of 1995. Over the next two or three weeks, I negotiated with Major League Baseball the specifics of paying for the franchise and all the details about getting the franchise. Right after we uh, got the franchise, our managing partner at the time, Vince Namoli, who I was representing, him and his group in the baseball effort, asked me if I wanted to join the organization uh, as general counsel. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I would. I remember my first day, our offices were over uh, by what's now um, press dining, over by the press box on the other side of the building. And I remember uh, going into my office, and uh, we had, you know, 
No uh, office supplies, much of anything. We had at the time no health insurance uh, because I, you know, I was the first employee, so we had none of the basics. Uh, we were basically starting a business from scratch, and so uh, on the first day, I went out and bought some legal pads and pens and uh, a stapler and and things like that, and and got started. The same day, I uh, started working on a memo to Mr. Namoli of uh, candidates for our general manager position because we needed to uh, get started right away with forming a baseball organization. Our first draft was going to be held uh, in in a little over a year in June of uh, 1996, and we were going to field two minor league teams uh, that same year. So we needed to get the baseball operations started, and so the the first uh, most important hire was finding our general manager, which we uh, we did two or three uh, months later. So tell me what's been the best part about your time working for the race. Getting the franchise on March 9th, 95, because the uh, Tampa Bay area had worked for such a long time to bring Major League Baseball here, and I had worked uh, as you know the attorney for the ownership group for you know two and a half years prior to that was really a, 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 a magical moment uh, for, for me. The good part over the 23 years I've been doing this is just what a, a great group of people I've worked with uh, over the years. Uh, so since negotiating the deal was probably your greatest personal accomplishment, what would be close to it or what would be 1A? I had the great fortune to uh, be asked to represent all the people that had been with the organization since 1998 when we had our first playoff game in 2008, and I was asked to uh, throw out the ceremonial first pitch, so that was pretty neat. And that is John Higgins. Congrats to him on his tremendous tenure with the Rays. Going down memory lane, the Rays yesterday gave out a special bobblehead featuring Tina Martinez and Fred McGriff, and I asked Tina what it meant to be part of the Rays' anniversary celebration. Uh, it's, it's great. You know, I come to a few games a year. I'm really good friends with Chris Westmoreland, uh, traveling secretary here. He's been a great friend of mine for years. Uh, come back to see him, but it's also fun to see these uh, young players that they're calling up and uh, the way they're rebuilding this team, this organization. So it's exciting to watch. Does it, um, what does it mean to you have the bobblehead with you and Fred on it? Obviously, two guys, not only who played for, the, for this organization, but also mean a lot to the history of Tampa Bay baseball. Yeah, and it, and it means a lot to me too, though, because Fred was a little bit older than I was uh, when I was in high school and college. And he always came back to our high school and um, he was in the professional leagues and taught us a lot. He taught us about hitting uh, and what it's like to play in the minor leagues and get to the big leagues, what it takes. So he was a big influence on me uh, to start my career. So to have a bobblehead with him and, and be teammates with him for a year was, was fantastic. You've probably thrown out your fair share of first pitches. Is, what does it mean to throw out a first pitch with him too? Oh, it's always an honor. I mean, any chance you get to do that, it's quite an honor, uh, no matter who it's for. But to be here in my hometown and do it with Fred McGriff is extra special. Having, is it hard to believe it's been 20 years for this organization? I know you played here in 04 and you grew up in this area, high school, University of Tampa. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, when, when they first started and I was with the New York Yankees and I was so excited that we were getting a, a major league team here in Tampa and to be able to at least come back as a visiting player back then was, was so much fun and to see the fans of Tampa get behind the team and uh, support it, it's been great and I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of success for this organization in the future, hopefully. You had uh, just the one year here and I know you had so many successful years at the big league level, but what did that one year mean? It was great. You know, Lou Pinello was the manager and uh, we had a young team with uh, Carl Crawford, Rocco Baldelli, Aubrey Huff and Lou asked if I'd come over and just kind of help them, you know, get started with their careers and stuff. So it was a lot of fun to 
to come to the ballpark every day and, and watch these guys their first year or two in the big leagues uh, uh, progress from day to day and, and, and see, where they, see what kind of players they became. You mentioned your high school, Jefferson. What did it mean to see them win a state championship recently? Because I know they it's hard to believe with all the talented players they had never won a state title. Yeah, they'd never won. In mean, 78 years, they've never won. And I know when I was back there in, in, in 1985 with Luis Gonzalez, we went to states and lost in the Final Four. So that was a, a letdown for us. But this team... Uh, played great all year. They have a great group of guys, and uh, I'm very proud of the, of the high school and what they've done, so it's a great accomplishment. And you're still in the Tampa Bay area, I assume, and what are you doing with yourself? Uh, I, I'm still in Tampa Bay area. I've never left, and um, I, I'm in player development with the New York Yankees, so I help out with the minor league side over here and um, watch over our top prospects throughout the year and make some appearances, up, and make some appearances in New York for them throughout the year, and I really enjoy doing that. And But it sounds like you're also pretty locked in on what's going on in this ballpark, too. Oh yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I work for the Yankees and I follow them a lot, but I'm also watching the, the, the Rays uh, when they're on TV at nighttime and uh, also the newspapers. So I know what's going on here and uh, I'm hoping that they continue to rebuild and, and have success. And obviously uh, you're probably well aware that they're working on getting a new stadium on the Ebor side. What do it mean? Because I don't know how far you grew up from there or, or how well you know that area. I know the area very well. I grew up 10 minutes from there. So I think it's, it's exciting and it's a great spot for them. Uh, the people of Tampa are excited. I think it's going to help draw more people from Orlando and Lakeland that no, don't necessarily get to get out here too often. So uh, I think it's great for the St. Pete area as well. It's not far away, and uh, I think it's going to benefit everyone. But it's the right spot, and I think it's going to make a huge difference in this organization as far as attendance. And uh, I think it's, it's going to be a home run for these people. And you also obviously were very familiar with the way they built with, you mentioned, you mentored Carl Crawford when he first came up. It's almost like that next group is now on the way. Yeah, they are, and uh, you know I like seeing that. Uh, that's how the Houston Astros did it. The Cleveland Indians did it back in like 1990s, and that's the way you rebuild a team. And the, and the fans are against it sometimes, but uh, in two or three years, this team is going to be very good and hopefully uh, have a lot of success uh, you know, with championships. And that's Tino Martinez. And as we mentioned, he was part of the great history of baseball in Tampa Bay recently. His alma mater, Jefferson High, added to that, winning their first ever state title. And their coach, Juan Fontella, told me what it meant. You know, the school being here 78 years and and with all the great teams and the great tradition Jefferson has, it's just an awesome feeling uh, to bring back a state championship. You know. What did it mean to the kids, do you think, to be the first ones? Um, well, it meant a lot to them. Um, you know, all the hard work they've put into, uh, you know, throughout the season, at practices, off-conditioning workouts, um, it meant a lot to them. Um, you know, with all the great teams that have attempted every year to try to win a state championship and to be the first one, it's special. What made this group particularly special? What about their talent? Um, you know, it's um, you know we had a, uh, a talented team, but uh, just the way they played together and as a family and, and the way they loved each other and went out there and battled for each other, um, that, that's a special moment right there. Was it especially uh, rewarding because I know you weren't able to be on the sidelines for the for the for the tournament to see the way they responded? Oh, definitely. Um, you know the way they went out there. It's you know basically um, you know having uh, you know everything that we worked on all year just uh, come out in those two games. It was pretty nice. And what does it mean that the Rays are recognizing your group? Oh, this is awesome, man. Um, you know the Rays are. A great organization and to have us come out here and, and honor us it, it just it says a lot about them and and we're just happy to be here 
And I guess it also comes on a same day where, where two of your famed alums are getting recognized too. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, it couldn't be a, a better day, uh, you know, having two alumni here that played for Jefferson, wore the Jefferson uniform, uh, it's just awesome, you know, to be here too. How much do some of the alums have in contact with the school and what does it mean to the pride level of the baseball program? Um, well, you know, it's, you know, every game you have a different alumni come out and, and, and you know, always see how the program's going and congratulating us on, on what we accomplish and stuff. And it, it just, it, you know, it, it kind of um, reminds us of what, you know, Jefferson's baseball is all about and, and the history and, and all the tradition it's had. That's Jefferson High's Juan Fontella. Congrats to him and his school on the title they won. Now back to the draft. Joining us for Perspective on the Rays' recent draft, J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. J.J., thanks for joining us. I'm happy to talk about this. It's, it's kind of nice to have the draft done and be able to kind of look at it as a whole after uh, really uh, basically a year of kind of working up to this point. If I would have told you either the weekend before or, or a year out that the Rays would get some of the players they got at the top of the draft, what would you have told me? No chance. I mean, I knew that they had a lot of money because they did. They had a massive bonus pool. But it's one thing to have a massive bonus pool, but a, a lot of times that still that, that allows you, that gives you a freedom, that gives you flexibility that other teams don't have. But I still would not have imagined that they would pull off what, what they did here because, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's, Right now, uh, a couple of days after the draft, I'm not going to say there's ever a draft I hate. I don't have the arrogance to say that I know everything that went into this because maybe I'm missing something. But at the same time, when you talk about a draft that you love because you just can't imagine that they got those guys at those spots, this is a draft that's hard not to love because they got top players and they didn't pick until 16. Tell me why you like the players they chose so much, especially at the top. Okay, so we'll start with Matthew Libertor. Uh, you know, the, the first pick, 16th pick in the draft. When we talked coming into the season and you said, who are candidates to go 1-1, Matthew Libertor was right in that mix of potential 1-1 picks. And then he went out, and he was good. Now, I won't say that he was – he didn't do anything this spring where you say, oh, he's clearly a magnitude better than he was coming into the season. But he did show a little bit more consistent velocity at his best. He showed a little bit more top-end velocity at his best. He still showed, again, that he really knows how to pitch. And the frame, the stuff, the feel for pitching, it's all there to be uh, a pretty special young you know, left-hander coming out of high school. And coming into the draft, we would have, if you'd have said Libertor is going to go 6, 7, 8 in the draft, we would have said, yeah, that, that's probably right around the right range. They got him 16th, which is, uh, again, that's something that if you're the Rays, you, you have to be thrilled by. And then let's move to Shane McClanahan, who also was considered, what, a one-point top ten, right? Oh, yeah. Now, again, when you go back to the start of the season, first few weeks of the season, you heard mention of, I mean, not that he was a 1-1 guy, but that he was at least in that mix where you had to be watching for it. You know, he didn't have – his season did tail off. There's no doubt about that. But the scouts, I mean, if you when we talked to scouts, the, the guys who liked him less were guys who said – you know, maybe he ends up as a reliever. Now, it's going to be a power reliever with wipeout stuff who's 100 miles an hour from the left side, who strikes out a ton of guys and all that, and there's still a chance he's going to start. But to see him go uh, at 31, no one expected that he would go at 31. Now, when it's all said and done and the dust clears, I would expect that he's probably going to get paid 
like a guy who did not go 31, but paid like a guy who was a middle of the first round pick, which is what everyone thought he was going to be coming into the draft. But to get him there and then turn around right after that, Dick Schnell, on the high school side, if you said which high school hitter had the best spring, you could make a pretty strong case for Nick Schnell. Now, he's doing it in Indiana. That's not the highest level of competition. But you, you think back a year, a year ago, if we were talking about that and asked the same question, the answer would probably have been Joe Adele, who's now at the Angels, who was playing in Kentucky. And what has Joe Adele mm-hmm. done since then? He's gone out and really hit in, in pro ball. Schnell has legit power. There's athleticism there. Again, he was a guy. Now, this is, I would say, 32 was around the expected range for Nick Schnell. But he was a guy who got plenty of mentions as a guy who could have gone 20, 25, 30 in this draft class. They got three absolutely legit. One guy who's really a top of the first round pick. One guy who's a solid middle of the first round pick. And one guy who's a back of the first round pick. That's, again, the, the advantage of having three first round picks. You get much more talent than a whole lot of other teams get in the draft. And, and there also are a lot of people who liked some of the choices they had after that, whether it was uh, Frank and Dodson, their fourth and fifth selections on day one, or just some of the depth that they acquired, let's say, on day two. Oh, uh, day two. I, I love a lot of these day two guys. Grant Witherspoon is a really athletic outfielder. Taj Bradley is a very projectable, very young high school right-hander. Miller Hogan was one of the more productive college pitchers in this draft class. Nick Lee's a guy who, if if you've seen Nick Lee on the best days, Nick Lee is absolutely legitimately a big leaguer. A little consistency needs to develop there, but even when you go to day three, a a guy like Trey Cumbie is the kind of lefty with some feel and all that sometimes those guys end up being being pretty solid big leaguers. Obviously, he's a day three guy. You don't say that's a, a sure thing, but at the same time, would you say, Does there a a path to it for him? Absolutely. And Nick Sprengel is a guy who was, uh, you know, considered a a potential first rounder. If we were talking this time last year, we'd say, yeah, I think Sprengel could be a first round pick. Really bad year, but they got him in the 15th round, the 450th pick for a guy who has been seen at times to have first round talent. That's a lot of, again, there's some risk involved with all these guys we're talking about. But when you have this many guys who have legit potential, you're, you don't have to hit on all of them. If you hit on one, two, or three of them, you had a really good draft. Two questions on that. Again, we're chatting with J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. Was this the best draft or the best draft class in your mind? And if not, is it at least a top five draft class, at least as you look at it today? It, it is, I would say, and I would say it should be. I mean, that's one thing about it is is that the, the tough thing about doing, someone asking, are we going to do you know grade all these drafts? And, you know, no, we're not grading these drafts right now. We don't know who all is going to sign. We don't. And, again, the reality of it is is that the, and the Major League Baseball draft is one that it is impossible to fully wrap your arms around because there's so many players and so many players and all these players play so many games that you can get snapshots, you get understandings of guys, but you don't. You, it's hard to put your arms fully around it. But that said, if you have the allotment that they had, you would expect them to have a top-five draft class because they had the second most money to spend. They had three first-round picks. They had a supplemental second-round pick as well. So they had, you know, five picks on, uh, you know, in the top two rounds. We can't count the supplemental. You put that all together, they should have a top draft class. But you say with that, absolutely, they they checked off that box. You look at if you had told me coming into the draft that they would end up with Libertor, McClanahan, and Schnell in the first round, I just said that's highly unlikely because I just don't see that. If you told me that they took McClanahan at 16, that would have made sense. 
but I never would have thought that Libertor would have gotten there to 16, and I never would have thought that McClanahan, we knew McClanahan was falling, still didn't think he would make it to 31. And then from your perspective, if you're looking at it five years from now, what makes this either a successful draft or not successful draft? Well, again, like the, the really good draft, what you're going to get is, is you're going to hit on your first rounders, and then you're going to find a, a couple of other guys. Now, if you manage to hit the, you know, win the lottery on a later round pick, the, the Cardinals obviously have the most famous draft. You draft Albert Pujols in the 13th round, don't care what you did the rest of the draft. Congratulations, it's a great draft. You know, but when you look at, if you hit on your first rounders, and then uh, a Miller Hogan or a Todd Bradley or a Grant Witherspoon or Michael Berglund, who I like as a catcher who can hit a little bit, if one of those guys hits, and then you say that Libertor, McClanahan, and or Snell, two of those three end up being solid big leaguers, that's a great draft. But they have with this, with this draft class, because partly because of the money they had, but they were able to get players. You know, Sometimes when you have a top player at the top of your draft class, what you do is, is you put all your eggs in that basket. You're going to draft a lot of college seniors after that on day two of the draft just to find the way to pay for the bonus of the first-round guy. But that's not what the Rays did here. This is a draft where you mentioned Frank, you mentioned Dodson, Grant Witherspoon, Bradley Hogan. All these guys are guys where you say there's plausible paths to the big leagues for these guys. And because of that, it's not a draft where if Matthew Libertor doesn't turn out, then you say, oh, well, this draft can't, class can't beat expectations. They have multiple guys and multiple paths where if McClanahan ends up being a, a dominating power reliever, and Libertor makes it as a solid mid-rotation starter, well, that's a great draft class. Again, this is the, the MLB draft. The hit rate is, is such that you, you have to have some understanding there are going to be misses, but they have more chances to have hits here than most teams are going to have because they had more picks and they had more money. J.J., great perspective. We appreciate a few minutes. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Neil. And that is J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. Special thanks to him and all our guests on the show. If you ever have something you'd like to hear on the program, tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, the program will include pitcher Nathan Ovaldi, today's starter, and much more. For Jason Berenger, I'm Neil Solons. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network.